vision of Ag Arts is to imagine and promote healthy food systems through the arts. We do this in a number of ways. For example, this podcast, Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and your help, your donation funds our technical assistance, our website, our manager, and pays our rent here. We also do this through our Farm to Artist residencies. And on these residencies, artists do their work on farms, real working farms, and there they understand the issues of the farmers and reflect that in their art. Your funding keeps us alive. Please make a donation on our website, agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, or click the link in the show notes and hit that donation button. It's Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and I'm your host, Mary Swander. In this episode, we're looking behind the scenes of the podcast. My producer extraordinaire, Rick Brewer from Brouhaha Audio Productions, is interviewing me about how this podcast came about, how it adapted to the pandemic, how I invented the setting and characters for Buggy Land, and especially how I came up with Ruby, the gross mommy, our culinary artist and poet in residence. And don't forget, April 1st is the deadline for our Ask Ruby contest. So come on, ask Ruby anything and win $200. I don't think I even know the answer to this first question, Mary. How did this podcast even get started? It's the general. I call him the general. It's uh, Dave, who runs the general store here. And um, I used to love going into that store because it's kind of a meeting place. They have breakfast and, you know, uh, little seats. It's really really funky and old-fashioned. And, um, you know, I always chat to the local store owners here. And one day he said to me, you know, it would be really cool. He's always on his phone and loves podcasts. And he said, you know, it'd be really cool. Somebody needs to do a podcast from here, from Kelowna, you know, and it could be like a Garrison Keeler thing, but with the Amish. Somebody really needs to do that. That could be big. And I looked at him and I said, I'll do it. And he thought I was nuts, I think. But I said, no, I'll do it. And so and so, um, I thought this would be just so much fun. I love podcasts. I love radio. As a kid, I used to go down to my father's office, and he had one of those early dictaphone machines. And I would make up all of these stories, and I'd act them out, and I had sound effects with them, and I would record them all, do all the voices, take all the parts. And then I had an audience of one, which was my father's secretary. (laughs) She was always nice and laughed and everything. Um, But I just so enjoyed that. And so podcast, yeah, that sounds cool. I had to have a studio, of course. I had to have some place to record these. And so I said, Dave, I I need an office. And I had several endeavors going on at once, so kind of outgrown my home. 
And uh, he's like, oh, well, let's look around for a storefront. And he sent me to the old barber shop, and that didn't work out. You know, I, I went to this one and that one. I went to the dentist, old dentist office. That didn't work out. <laughs> he said, how about the bakery? The bakery is huge, and it's burned. And I'm like, ah, Dave, come on. And so finally, um, I just walked across the street, and there was a little sign in the window, office for rent, right across the street from the general store and a lawyer a lawyer owns the building and I came in he met me here and he had broken his iPhone on the ice and broken his arm he was really in a lot of pain I could tell that and it's a, it's a beautiful office all full of antique furniture and everything and just the right size the right price for me and I said I'd like to rent this <laughs> he looked at me and he said would you take the furniture because I know what he was thinking with a broken arm. He couldn't, you know, visualize himself moving all this furniture out and everything. So I have this uh, very lovely lawyer office recording studio in sunny downtown Fremartintown. And then Dave, the general, you know, he gave me a lot of moral support uh, along the way. You know, I didn't know anything about how to set up a po- I mean, the podcast, I had literally had to sit down and read podcasts for dummies. But he had been, get this, in a little tiny free mountain town here, he had been a producer in Hollywood before he ran the general store in free mountain town. So you go figure that one out. But this is true, and his job in Hollywood was to think up ideas like this, shows, you know, television shows. He was in TV. So that's how it began. And I <laughs> I signed the papers February 1st in 2020 to rent this office. And then <laughs> you know what happened. <laughs> we all know. And my original idea was, I was like, oh, podcast, this is great. I'll invent a town. And then I have tons of actor friends. And I thought, well, we'll just bring them down here. And I'll write up these little dramas and we'll record them. This will be easy. And da 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 And then I, then I was going to have office hours, which I did do for that one month, where anybody off the street could come in and tell a story, a good story. And it was really fun. People were coming in telling me stories and then giving me names of other people who were great storytellers. And then we had this little thing called the plague and uh, social distancing that happened. So everything had to be switched around. Right. And I I just wanted to add about your office, Mary. I think there are enough chairs in there to house the entire town of Kelowna. There are a lot of chairs here. Uh, and my landlord said, um, you know, if you want to get rid of any of that furniture, let me know. And I said, well, everything's pretty nice, except I think maybe I have a few too many chairs. And uh, he was just like, oh, okay. And and But then I thought, well, maybe I don't have too many chairs because... My original idea was to have, you know, this would be a multi-purpose office and have poetry readings and little get-togethers and teach some classes here, and I would need those chairs. But, uh, and now I realize I don't quite need all these chairs, so. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, so it sounds like the podcast went from this sort of like community space, record a story off the street, have these events, to now it's sort of taken on a life of your storytelling, your own monologues, you know, interview shows, uh, things of that nature. It sounds like it really had to take on a life of its own because of COVID-19. Exactly. I sat here, I remember the day, and I had a touring theater troupe that was touring all over the country. And, you know, I was going to just wedge this podcast in when I was home, which wasn't that often. And the, you know, by the middle of March 2020, the theater troupe was gone. You know, I had started a lot of businesses in my life, but I'd never had one just go kaput in one day. And so I sat here and I thought, okay, then I'm putting my energy into this podcast, but good grief, what am I going to do? You know, everything I had planned, I can't do anymore. And so I was sitting here at, the, <laughs> at my desk, my head in my hands, and um, the one person that I interacted with was my technician, Is that's really essential. And we were, we'd be in here in masks sitting, you know, 10 feet apart. And I, you know, I looked up at Marco and I said, well, I've written all these little scripts and, you know, I, I can't get actors. I mean, wh- well, how am I going to do this? And, <laughs> and I said, I've got this wonderful part for this Amish grandmother cook, because David suggested her too. He'd said, you know, you, you need to get like some of these local people, like get one of these gross mommies who's a really, really good cook and, and have her go get on with recipes. And I thought, oh, this will be going to be fun. And I'm like, Marco, I've got this script and I got this gross mommy ready to tell you how to make shoe fly pie. And I got no, no actor. How am I going to do this? Or do I have to just start from scratch? And he goes, no, 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 calm down, calm down. He said, you can just play the gross mommy. And I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, you're funny. You have all these little voices and everything. You just, you just go ahead and play her too. And you play you and you play her. And I, and I looked at him and I was like, okay, this is pitching me back to third grade in my father's office with the dictaphone is I took all the parts then. I thought, okay, well, then this might be kind of funny. And so that's how Ruby the Gross Mommy evolved with me just jumping in and uh, taking her voice. I mean, of course, everybody knows it's my voice, but uh, there's, there's humor in that. And so um, it's caught on, and she has become a character bigger than life. Absolutely. Um I wanted to ask you also, Mary, where did the voice of Ruby come from? How did you, was it based on somebody you knew? Was it just out of the blue? Did you want her to sound a certain way? Tell me about her voice, because it's obviously very distinct when our listeners hear it. I know a lot of gross mummies. I live in the middle of the old order Amish um, community. I live in an old one-room Amish schoolhouse, and I've been here 30 years so I know the gross mommies and know all, you know, they are the ones that have all the skills. They're the ones that give me information, tell me how to do things. I mean, they, I've got a, a lot of help from these gross mommies. Real quick, Mary, just to clarify, a gross mommy is sort of like a grandmother figure, elder woman in the Amish community. That's correct. And 
so anyway, I must know, t- you know, 10 of them pretty well. And uh, I, so Ruby's a compilation of all of them, but, um, it, you know, the voices, I, I wanted to make it kind of indicative of the way a gross mommy would talk. The, the Amish, of course, their first language is Dutch, which is a dialect of German. And English is their second language. And they Amish don't learn English until they go to school. So at five years old, total immersion, they, you know, uh, go to the one-room schoolhouse and expected to just learn English. I've asked them, how long does that take? And <laughs> and they say, oh, it's not too bad. Usually by Halloween, you have it down. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. It, you know, so there's that. And then um, the Amish do not embrace the English, which is the, all the rest of us, the world in any way. And one of the things they really do not embrace is our sense of manners and, you know, introductions, anything like that. They'll, they'll, they constantly call me on the phone They don't have phones, but they have these little phones in a shack in the middle of the cornfield. And they'll call me, and they don't identify themselves at all. They just say, I wonder if I could come over and you could copy something for me. And, I'm, you know, then I have to rack my brain, whose voice is this? (laughs) (laughs) And so I've gotten really good at listening to their voices because I certainly don't get, you know, hi, this is Levi on the other end of the phone. and. Uh, so I listen to these women's voices and, you know, you say, well, hello, Ruby. Hello. You know, they don't, they don't address you by name. They don't, you, they usually don't have any salutations at all. And it's really pretty, um, it's to the English world, it sounds pretty flat, but yeah, underneath there, there's a lot of perkiness and liveliness and as you know ruby has her definite opinions on things (laughs) right and i think that goes nicely into asking you how has this character developed how have you when you get inside ruby's brain how has she changed over time well i originally brought her on the show to give recipes and then she became so opinionated in her recipe you know that I thought, okay, let's get her back here and we'll make her the judge of the poetry contest. And uh, and then I thought, well, does she know anything about poetry? And Ruby's inner poet came out. And uh, yes, she does know about poetry. She can tell you that herself. She learned to memorize poetry in one-room school. And then we find, found out at the end of that podcast that she she writes poetry, writes it about her cooking and shoe fly pie. And so uh, to me, she's a much rounder character now than she was two years ago. And, I, you know, I can kind of picture her better in my mind. It's not just the voice anymore. Yeah. She has really taken on a life of her own is that you don't necessarily have to you know, think of new things, sort of Ruby just sort of does things now, it sounds like. Yeah, no, she she definitely does. And uh, she, you know, she's lived long enough that, um, as my own grandmother said, 
once to me, why should I travel? I've seen scenery. And uh, so Ruby's seen scenery. She's been around. She knows how the world works, and she will straighten you out just in case you don't know. We were kind of chit-chatting before we got started, getting equipment set up, et cetera, kind of catching up a little bit. I didn't realize that Free Martintown was invented. I thought it was maybe like a different part of <laughs> Kelowna, but it sounds like Free Martintown is a fictional town based on Kelowna. And one of my all-time favorite moments of the podcast right here. His voice echoing over the water. Hello, Bolton. Then spinning around to the Southern fans. Hello, Free Martintown. Mary, tell me, where did Free Martintown come from? Where I live and where the studios are is Kelowna, Iowa. K-A-L-O-N-A. There's also a Kelowna, Illinois, but that's spelled with a C. But... Uh, Kelowna, Iowa, was named after a bull. I am not kidding you. And the bull had a very high semen count, apparently. So he's a very prized animal. And, uh, and he became famous for his product, shall we say. And, um, and so they, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he was here at the sale barn. He was, he was famous. And so they named the town after him. And so I thought, okay, we got to fictionalize things here. And we, you know, we can't just say Kelowna. And, and, but Kelowna's nickname is Bull Town, B-U-L-L, Bull Town. I mean, you could drive into, I love it. You drive into town and there's a little sign, welcome to Bull Town. And uh, sometimes I even, when I write letters to people on my return address, you know, I'll say Swander da 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 da, da Avenue, Bulltown. And um, <laughs> I don't think the postmaster appreciates that too much. But uh, so I was like, Bulltown, Bulltown, Bulltown. Uh, you know, bull, bulls, but da da You know, so I'm making this free association in my head. And, and then I thought Free Martin, because Free Martin is a is a sterile bull. Like bulls are usually twins uh, oftentimes when they're born. And you'll have one that's potent and then you'll have another who isn't. And, and, and these free martins are kind of, sometimes they can be hermaphrodites. They're kind of odd creatures. And so I thought, well, this is going to be an odd town. So we'll have bull town and free martin town. Only the rural people get this joke and what the ones that get it really think it's pretty funny. So that's how Free Martintown came about. And then in my fiction, Free Martintown <laughs> is positioned right next to Bulltown. So you yeah, so it's hello Bulltown. And that's a catfish on the bridge that goes nowhere. That's actually based on a true thing. We have a bridge here that goes halfway across the English River, which I call the Amish River, in the podcast, and then it stops. And so they have music on the bridge. Originally, it was a fundraiser to finish the bridge, but I don't know, somebody walked away with the money. So now we just have the music and no, no none of the fundraising. And uh, it's the most wonderful thing. You go down there and bring your lawn chair and, you know, your dog 
and your kids, little strollers with kids, and they've got torches to drive away the mosquitoes, and you great blue herons flying over the river, and catfish, <laughs> catfish is up there playing his guitar, and he, you know, and he faces the people on one side of the bridge. Hello, Bolt Town, and then people from the other side of the river come down and they sit in their lawn chairs, not on the bridge, because that part of the bridge is missing. So they sit on the bank and then he turns to them, hello, free Martintown. So that's how that all evolved. Another one of your introductions uh, might've been the same episode was they're at it again, the Amish. Uh, that's also one of my uh, favorite moments. But speaking of the Amish, you mentioned a, a bit earlier that you get a lot of Amish questions all the time. What are maybe some of the most common ones uh, that you get? Oh, that's the deal. I've, you know, as I said, I've lived here 30 years, and and these are mostly people that come to visit me for, you know, might be an afternoon, it might be for a weekend. And, you know, the Amish are a distinct minority community in the United States, and there are um, 5,000 Mennonite and Amish in this community. So it's the largest Amish community west of the Mississippi River. And they, you know, they live an existence that's very different from the mainstream culture. And they're actually based on the Benedictine monks. They were... Uh, created in Switzerland in the beginning, but they, you know, in, in uh, the Reformation and, you know, but they took from Catholicism the sense of being cloister, a cloistered group. And so they tried to live in a cloistered way withdrawn from the world. And it's not a communal system. It's a partial communal system. Like um, there are other utopian communities. Iowa actually was utopian city here in the early settlement days. We had a lot of utopian communities because most of them are agricultural. And um, the Amana colonies is nearby and they were a German utopian community. They were similar to the Amish, but they were truly communal. They ate together they ran, um, you know, their woolen mill. They, all of that was as, as a group, and they weren't paid money. They were given food, housing, clothing, health care. And, you know, and then you were tight with the group. And the Amish community is actually capitalistic to a certain degree. They each run their own farm, but then they join together, oh, if you, and pool money, say if you'd have a major health emergency or, you know, the thing that people always point to or remember is, um, let's say you get hit by a tornado and your barn blows down, which I've seen this happen quite a bit, and then the whole community gets together and rebuilds your barn, and it, it'll take like two days. And everybody knows their part. They'll have a foreman who will 
direct the show. It's really choreographed. Everybody knows who's supposed to hammer what board when, and um, and they they help each other out like that. So it's ever fascinating here. For one thing, you know, it's so counter our culture that's based on money, competition, um, travel, moving constantly, all that stuff, that people have a lot of questions on it. So so they constantly ask, you know, like, you know, and the Amish, of course, are full of contradictions. I, I grew up Catholic, so I'm quite used to that. And, uh, you know, like, why can't, you know, <laughs> when we were kids, now, why can't we eat meat on Friday, but we, we can eat, but we can eat it any other day, or, you know, and, uh, and, you know, we, we played stump the nun is what we called it. And, uh, in Catholic school, we, <laughs> we would concoct these quite now you said that such and such was a venial sin. Now, why hasn't that moved over and being a mortal sin? You know, we had all these questions like that. And so, People constantly ask me questions about that. It really reminds me of Stump the Nun. And, um, you know, like the most common one was, what are you saying? They, they can't have cars. I saw, I, I, I saw one, you know, d- going down the road, you know, sitting on the passenger side of the, that pickup. No, what, what are they, you know, the, were they doing something against their religion or what? You know, and I have to explain they can't have a car, but they can take a ride in a car. You know, that kind of thing. and uh, But then sometimes, you know, honest God, one time I was, uh, I was on the porch with some Amish neighbors who were gross mommy and gross daddy age, and this car pulled up right, cold, right in the road, pulled into their yard and asked them if they brushed their teeth. You know, I mean, they, it, it's sometimes very insulting. And so, um, you know, it's really, it's just, it's just fascinating. And when I go out to give readings, especially if I'm reading from material that I've written about the Amish, but sometimes not, just the fact that they know I live among the Amish, all the questions from the audience will be stump the nun uh, Amish questions. And, you know, and I thought, yeah. Let's just let's just have a podcast where everybody gets this out of their system, and um, I think you, <laughs> I came in here and I said, okay, Rick, let's have a let's have a uh, I'm into contest now. That's working out great. We're getting some our, our audience participation into the podcast. I said, let's do one on ask you know uh, ask me questions about the Amish, and and you said, okay, that's great. Let's go ask Mary. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I thought, no, no, we got Ruby here. Just ask Ruby. So that's that's the latest contest. And, the, you know, the questions are starting to come in. It's very, very interesting. Um, everything from, so far I've gotten everything from, um, why don't the men have mustaches? Which has a very, very interesting um, answer to would the Amish use binoculars to bird watch? I was headed to Washington, Iowa on a Thursday in May to visit my sister and wish her a happy birthday. I left Ankeny at the daybreak because I planned to stop at the Golden Delight Amish Bakery north of Kelowna and load up on the best glazed donuts in Iowa. 
I turned off of Highway 1 at the Golden Delight sign, reminding me they were open Monday through Saturday. As I pulled into the driveway, however, I noticed there were no cars. I walked up to the door, pulled on the door. It was locked. Oh, no, I thought. I looked in and saw no one there. Then I looked around the door and noticed a sign painted, Closed Ascension Day. Indeed, it was the 40th day of the Easter season. I've never known any business to close on Ascension Day, the day Christ descended into heaven, according to the writer of Luke and Acts, but that's probably because Protestant churches celebrate Ascension Day the Sunday following the 40th day of Easter. I was initially disappointed after dreaming for two hours during my drive to southeast Iowa, thinking of myself and my need for a sugar fix. But as I drove away from the bakery, I thought, good for the Amish, putting a hold on consumerism for one day caused me to pause and reflect on this seldom-remembered holy day. My mind also shifted to wonder, and now I can ask an uncommon question, how do Amish families celebrate Ascension Day? So roll in your questions and, um, and uh, get on our website, agarts.org, and you just scroll down. To the, on the homepage, we've got it all set up, Ask Ruby, and you click the button that says Speak Pipe, and you ask your question right into the website. Some people are emailing me their questions. We want your questions so we can make a podcast of this and have your lovely voices in the podcast. So speak right into the website, ask your questions of Ruby, and then Rick will... Work his magic. Oh, and, and please make a $10 donation to keep our lights on here and uh, the studio in Fremartintown. And Rick will work his magic and weave these together, and we're have, we'll have great fun with the questions that come in for Ruby. I really, some of them are really, really funny that I've gotten so far. So ask Ruby anything you want to know. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear them too, Mary. Our, our last contest was so successful, um, so I, I can only imagine that we're going to continue to get more and more entries. Remind us the deadline again, Mary. Oh, the deadline is coming up. It's April Fool's Day, April 1st. So, you know, get your questions in. Yeah, the last contest was the bad poetry contest, and I got an avalanche of bad poems the day before the deadline, so... Uh, don't wait till the end. I like to sort them out on my computer as they come in, but just get them in by April 1st. Yeah, the last uh, bad poetry contest was so much fun. We got a singing telegram type bad poem. <laughs> and uh, Monica Leo. Yeah, Monica Leo from Oil and Spiegel Puppet Theater, and she won $100 and a handmade belt by the Amish harness maker. Now, we've upped the ante, so all you have to do is ask one question and pay $10, and you can win $200 on this contest and get a subscription to Special Interests, the Amish newspaper, which is the most fascinating newspaper that comes into the mail. I get a lot of newspapers and things and it's, it's the best. It's, it's the most entertaining piece of mail I get in the month. Wow. It comes every month. That's so great, Mary. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Mary. Oh, this is great, Rick. 
Can't wait to hear those questions come in for Ruby. Yes, I'm waiting for them too. So just get them in. No question is is too big or too small. Just don't ask me any embarrassing questions. Keep it clean, folks. Keep it clean. Just like an evening time. I'm just like a seagull. Let's lift the sea. And that brings today's episode to a close. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brouhaha Audio Production and had the help of Colton Anderson, our intern from Central College. We had the support of the Werner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Catlio Levine Fund, which also helps fund our farm-to-artist residencies. We welcome your support. Like and follow us at Facebook and Instagram. Become a premium member. Or go to our website at agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, and hit that red donate button. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you next time. Bruhaha. And he became famous for his product, shall we say.